One go. Surprise! We're back. This is Football Life presents the Audubon. This Football Friday it is September 25th, week three edition. I am your host, Randy Hammond, alongside my partner in crime, Matt Bushnell, all the way out in Arizona. Matt, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing good, Randy. Loving the weather, loving the life, loving football, even Thursday night football, my friend. Yes, we are going to break down that epic stash versus beard showdown and break down all the games happening on week three, even the bad ones, even the worst games possible, which we will touch on. Uh, and then we'll have a tribute at the end of the show to a late great uh, that you're all too familiar with, Matt and Gail Sayers, who sadly passed away. But we'll get to him in a little later. But we're, first, we're going to start off by talking some Thursday night football. The Dolphins going to Jacksonville, Florida, and just handling the Jaguars 31-13. Matt, just give me your quick thoughts on this game, this pretty uneventful football game. Yeah, I feel like we've had this script before with Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2018 with the Bucks. Started off really hot, um, but then his carriage became a pumpkin. So that same thing. Last night looked really sharp, completed his first 11 passes, just shredded that Jacksonville defense. And let's face it, Randy, that Jacksonville defense isn't very good. They mix zone, they mix man, but it doesn't matter because they can't cover. And they have a really hard time getting to the quarterback. Meanwhile, Miami, offensively, I kind of like some of their weapons. Um, I forget the running back's name. Oh, guy's going to kill me. Cass. Yes, he looked pretty good, but once again, it's the Jaguars' defense. Defensively, the Dolphins, I like how they mixed up their coverage scheme. They mixed up their blitzes. They really made it uncomfortable. Granted, DJ Chark was out, but really Gardner Minshew was the checkdown king last night, never really exploiting a Dolphin secondary without Byron Jones. So I look at this game, I think it's more indicative of how poorly – the Jacksonville Jaguars roster is currently constructed. I would be shocked if Gardner Minshew is the quarterback of the Jaguars next season. What you going to do, brother, when Minshew mania runs wild on you in the first two weeks of the football season, you pick them to win on Thursday night football and they screw you. And that's what happened to me. I bought into the Gardner Minshew Kool-Aid and it backfired. And I don't necessarily even blame Gardner Minshew totally for this. I don't think he played great by any means but this is a rebuilding Jacksonville team it's a rebuilding Miami team but I guess I chalk that up to coaching and having a veteran quarterback who seems to have one of these weeks where he plays really well early in the season and I should have seen the Fitz Magic week coming and of course it was in prime time everyone could watch his luscious Harvard grown beard just take over prime time and Ryan Fitzpatrick outdueled the stash 18 to 20 160 yards two touchdowns he also ran for seven times for 38 yards and a touchdown Ryan Fitzpatrick just seems to have one of these games every year, man, where he just plays really efficiently and it doesn't look like he's been in the league for, you know, a dozen years, however long it's been now. Um, like I said, I was really buying into the Minshew excitement. Uh, not bad on the stat sheet, but if you watched the game, you knew a lot of this was garbage time stats. Uh, he finished 30 of 42, 275 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. The guy who stuck out for me for Jacksonville is James Robinson. He had uh, the running back at 11 carries for 46 yards, two rushing touchdowns. He also had six catches for 83 yards. So if you don't have a running back in fantasy, you're looking for somebody, he might be gone now, but he certainly uh, played really well in that game. Um, the other person, when I watched this game this morning, Matt, because uh, I can't watch these games live due to my work schedule, uh, that really stuck out to me on the Miami's defense was 
former Patriot Kyle Van Noy. Now, he didn't light up the stat sheet with tackles or anything, but it seemed like every play he was involved. He forced a fumble on Minshew, I believe, in the second half that uh, kind of halted any momentum the Jags had. Um, when I when you watched this game, did you just happen to see number 53 all over the field? Yeah, and, you know, that's the one thing I always like to see is, like, who's who's out there that you know is out there? You can see it on the tape. You always kind of hear their name or – um, they have a nose for the football, and Van Noy has always been that way. I think even with the Patriots, I, I think if they, if I were the Patriots, that was one guy that I would prioritize keeping because I always felt like Van Noy was a good defensive player, perfect in this Brian Flores system. They know how to use him, and yes, I mean, last night it just felt like he was everywhere, even though you may not have heard his name as much as I think you should have, but he was all over the place. Yeah, I really liked what I saw from him. Uh, like I said, not a ton of tackles on the stat sheet, but you want your linebacker to be all over the field, involved in all the plays that's happening. So good on him. Uh, Miles Jack looked good for the Jags. Um, the other note, I want to say Mike Gesicki looked really good at tight end, had a really nice catch for a touchdown, um, like a leaping grab. He's very tall. He has potential to be, you know, a top five-ish tight end in fantasy if, you know, he gets all this consistent playing time. With that said, Devontae Parker, the stock I have in him is slowly fading. Yeah, he he's hurt, though. He's really batting, battling a hamstring injury. I think that's what they said on the game last night. Mm-hmm. So you could just see the lack of separation. He's one of those guys that maybe they need to sit. Football-wise, for the team, yeah, I, I would sit him. Fantasy stock absolutely has to drop. I just don't see that hamstring getting better without mm-hmm. rest. Yeah. Uh, sucks that he's hurt. I invested a lot in him in fantasy, but uh, maybe he'll get healthy and help me later in the season. Still not a bad game, five catches, whatever. All right, we're going to get to all of the games now, Matt, on Sunday, starting with the early games. Like I always like to specify the early games, meaning the 1 o'clock games for me and the 10 a.m. games for you. Uh, and there's less this week, thankfully. It seems like they jammed all the games always uh, at the one, in the 1 o'clock slot for the first two weeks, which doesn't make a ton of sense for me, but uh, they mixed it up a little bit more this week, thankfully. And we're going to start off with my team here in blue, the New York football giants back at MetLife stadium, welcoming back the team that played at MetLife stadium last week. And I'm not talking about the jets. I'm talking about the San Francisco 49ers that claimed the turf monster destroyed half their roster. And that turf was unfit to hold football games and that it's cursed. And it's a shitty stadium in Northern New Jersey, which we, none of us would ever disagree with, but uh, the 49ers coming back into town. I don't think they ever left to be honest with you. Uh, Giants banged up, no longer have Saquon Barkley. The Niners banged up, no longer Nick Bosa or Solomon Thomas. Doesn't look like Jimmy Garoppolo's going to play. Maybe you're going to have George Kittle in this game, Matt. Uh, what do you think about the Niners back at MetLife for a second consecutive week against the Giants? This one to me is hard. This, this may be the hardest game on the schedule. Normally you'd pick the 49ers in a blowout win if healthy, but with all, all the insurmountable amount of injuries, they don't have a wide receiver. Even with Debo Samuel probably not playing, it still hurts this team, even though they really don't have that marquee wide receiver. If Kittle's out, Mostert's out, Tevin Coleman's out, I mean, there's just so many things here that makes it hard for me to envision the 49ers being able to pull away. I got a feeling this is going to be a really close one. You know, both of these teams are healthy, obviously. I don't think it's a close game at all. Uh, I really think the Niners kind of take control and push the Giants around. And, I I mean, that's just the status of where each of these teams are right now at, at, at this point in time. But you take away the starting quarterback, you take away their pass rushers, um, you take away Raheem Mostert, obviously, is hurt. Uh, Tevin Coleman's hurt. So now they're down to just 
uh, Derek McKinnon, who obviously I'm a big fan of, but uh, if you have Nick Mullins back there and no George Kittle, um, the Giants defense hasn't looked that bad that they can handle that. Uh, they can keep themselves in the game. And our, our friend Henry Maldonado Jr., a big 49ers fan, likes to point out here that Jordan Reed will probably get a lot of the targets. He'll probably be the number one receiver, which I, I hand up. I forgot they had Jordan Reed, but um, that is a good pickup for them, a good insurance for George Kittle, especially if he's healthy. He was really good for Washington for a very long time. Obviously dealt with concussion issues. And if the Giants uh, haven't really faced a tight end worth a damn, I don't think at this point, I know you like Jimmy Graham a little bit, but uh, the, the Steelers don't have a tight end that really is an elite tight end at all. So if Jordan Reed is going to give them, anyone's going to give the Giants problems in the air, it probably will be Jordan Reed. Um, but the spread went down in this game from six and a half to four. Vegas is more confident in the Giants the closer we get to this thing. And I'm confident in the Giants. You know why? Because the Giants have to win this game. If the Giants lose this game, they are going to go 0-5, and they are going to go 3-13, and and no one wants to hear me bitch and moan about the Giants being one of the worst teams in the league again for the fourth consecutive year. And they will be anyway, but they're going to do me right, and they're going to, they're going to make us proud, and they're going to fight, and they're going to claw, and they're going to somehow scrap a win against the 49ers, the reigning NFC champions, albeit banged up, but they're going to get this win in a close one, Matt. What do you think about that? I, I Man, to, to me – it, it, it's it's really a pick 'em to me. It's it's you could go either Giants or 49ers. I, I think the Giants definitely cover the spread. I've been back and forth on this. I'm going to take the 49ers in this game, just because I, I think the offensive line is really good, and I trust Kyle Shanahan more than I trust Joe Judge. So. Fair. I, I, I just <laughs> – yeah. I, I hate this game. I really do because I can see the Giants winning this game and I can see the 49ers winning this game. Both teams can make a case. I, I'm going to go 49ers 16, the Giants 14. Okay. I'm going to go Giants 16, Niners 13. And it's going to be ugly because the Giants only know one style of play and it is ugly. Uh, so that's the MetLife game of the week. And we're going to move on now to the Chicago Bears. Back at it again. And it's funny how we plan a show that way. Our two teams lead off the show. Uh, usually put your best players one and two in the lineup in baseball world. We're going to knock off the two. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but the Bears are going to travel to Atlanta to face the Falcons, who had one of the worst losses you'll ever see. Only one I worst I could think of is the Super Bowl loss that the same franchise had just a few years ago. Uh, to the Dallas Cowboys, the Bears obviously overcame the Giants last week in an ugly game in Chicago. Matt, uh, I get the sense you're a little confident for the Bears this week. You know, I think Tuesday, Wednesday, I was leaning Falcons here because I just think the Falcons, the Bears having to travel to Atlanta, and it, it was a bad loss, but I, I like the Falcons' offense. Then the game tape came out, Randy, and my <laughs> God, I, I've never been more disappointed in a team than I have been with the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> you talk about if the Cowboys don't turn the ball over three times in the first half, and if the Cowboys don't do that idiotic fake punt on fourth and five in their own 29, the Falcons are not even in this game. I mean, they received fortuitous field position all game long. The Cowboys defense is softer than baby shit. So, of course, Atlanta was able to score on those DBs. This Byron Jones loss, like, and I know Cowboys fans will point to Demarcus Lawrence Really didn't see him on the, on the stat sheet really that much. Didn't notice him in the game. 
So I, I take a look at this game. The Bears have a better secondary. I think they'll be able to hang with them. If Julio Jones doesn't play, which we'll get on to later, I really like the Bears. But, you know, the Bears feel like this football team this year, they're just going to win games ugly. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to frustrate the hell out of you. It's always going to be at the last minute. But I'll take it. You know, a win's a win. I think Atlanta, they're in their own heads now. I kind of alluded it to, like, earlier in the season. Sometimes you just need to break it apart because of the mental aspect of it. I, th I think this team's mentally cursed at this point. They can't get out of their own way. And they sort of have a Saints vibe to them where how many playoff losses or embarrassing choke jobs are you going to have where it just lingers every time you're in a game that you should win and you somehow manage to lose it. Uh, you're grasping defeat from the claws of victory uh, so often now that it's just expected. However, uh, this is just a battle of two teams I do not trust. I don't trust the Bears. Uh, I would like the Bears a hell of a lot more if they were home. Uh, I don't know if the Dome makes the Falcons better. Obviously, they struggled against Seattle, but I don't think the Bears can put up the same points that Seattle can put up. They don't have Russell Wilson, obviously. Um, I kind of like the Falcons in this spot only because they're home. I, I really, If Julio doesn't play, then that's a whole other issue. Uh, but Calvin Ridley is having an all-pro-type season already to start this season, so losing Julio might not be the biggest concern ever. Russell Gage has really played well this year. Maybe that'll give my guy Austin uh, – not Austin Cooper uh, – Hayden Hurst some more love. I've invested a lot in him in fantasy. Um, I love the Bears' defense. That is well-documented, but the, I, if the Falcons score 39 points again with no turnovers like they did against the Cowboys, I have a hard time believing that the Bears are going to win this game. With that said – the Bears are not going to let them score 39 points like the Cowboys did. The Cowboys gave them that many points because of their own issues. Um, but I still kind of feel like the Falcons are going to win this game. I know that this is just a battle of two teams that I don't trust. And I, I can keep saying it, but this is an 0-2 team against 2-0 team. The 2-0 team very well could be 0-2. The Bears somehow escaped those two games with wins. But here we are. I'm going to go Falcons here. Uh, I'm going to go 24-20. to well, I want to get your official prediction for this game. I'm going to take the Bears here 31 to 21. I, I just think the Bears will do enough. They'll get a couple of turnovers, and they'll score off one turnover. Well, if that happens, I hope Allen Robinson has a big day because I'm waiting for it. Uh, <laughs> all right, moving on to the next game in the early window, which will be the Los Angeles Rams making their second consecutive trip to the East Coast, this time to Western New York to face the 2-0 Buffalo Bills, and I'm really impressed by both of these teams. I'm actually more impressed by the Rams, I would say, than the Bills because we expected the Bills to be pretty good this year. Um, I don't really know what to think of this matchup. If there were fans involved, and this is going to happen a lot, where we, if there was a crowd involved, you would be, you'd feel differently about the game. But there being no fans kind of neutralizes this. Uh, this not Buffalo in December. It's Buffalo in September. Not nearly the same thing. What do you make of this matchup? This week feels like it's full of these kind of matchups where I just don't like, you know, if I'm betting this week, I'm staying away from a lot of these games. You know, that's kind of my motto of how this week looks like. The Rams and Bills, it, it's just really the dynamic of how these two teams are set up. I'm, this is the game where we find out if Josh Allen's the real deal. He had the Bills, I'm sorry, he had the Jets and the Dolphins. Now it's time to put up or shut up and, you know, will Josh Allen shut me up? I don't think so. I think this is the game that we find out Josh Allen is exactly who I thought he was, a guy who's got incredible arm strength with horrific accuracy issues and a Buffalo team that's severely flawed in the run game. I don't think they can run the ball as well with their running backs. Obviously, Josh Allen breaks contain a lot and gets a lot of yards. 
but we're also going to find out how good is that Buffalo defense. You know, mm-hmm. are, are they as good as we think they are with playing two cupcakes and Fitzpatrick and Sam Darnold? Um, you know, I, I just – this game I think is going to be ugly, but I, I kind of like the Rams here. I'm kind of with you because I have not been impre- and I have not been impressed by the Buffalo defense. Uh, obviously, they handled the Jets. I think a lot of teams are going to handle the Jets this year. However, uh, to give up that many points to the Dolphins, I think – uh, is pretty bad considering, you know, your defense should be much better than, say, the Jaguars' defense who allowed them to score 31 last night. I mean, they, they dropped 28 on you and had the lead late in the fourth quarter. I'm pretty disappointed in that. I understand it's Florida Heat. It's different. But I just have a bad vibe about the Bills' defense. Josh Allen, by all means, first two weeks of the season has looked incredible, uh, has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league to this point. I still – and uh, everyone's going to kill us for this take because we, we just don't love – Josh Allen, but uh, the competition really just hasn't been up to the point where I'm ready to go. You know what, Josh Allen, you are a great NFL quarterback. You played the Jets and the freaking Dolphins. Like, do it against the Rams. Do it against Aaron Donald. How about that? Do it against Jalen Ramsey. How about you throw another 300 yards and three touchdowns this week at home against the West Coast team that everyone kind of thinks is soft? Why don't you do it then? And then maybe I'll be like, you know what, Josh Allen, now you owe me an apology. Now I owe you an apology. You know, I'm impressed by how you played so far because I didn't think you had it in you, to be completely honest with you. But now you're facing a good team. So let's see it. Let's see it for real. Uh, and I just think Aaron Donald's going to wreak havoc on him. And I think he's really going to affect this game because that's what Aaron Donald does. Uh, Sean McVay, I think, is going to put on a coaching clinic offensively because they have such a unique offense where it is – I don't even want to call it a West Coast offense, but it is sort of that without the downfield threat but they are very meticulous and very specific and detailed in the way that they throw slants and the way they throw crossing routes and the way they throw checkdowns and combine that with their three headed monster uh, with their rushing attack. I really like this Rams team. And I I'm surprised we, none of us thought of that to begin with, like how effective they were going to be offensively. Maybe it was a knock on Jared Goff, but I don't know. I kind of think that I'm going to give the edge here to McVay and the Rams. I just don't know what the score is going to end up being. I'm just going to throw it out there and say, uh, Rams 27, Bills 20. I, I I think the Bills will have a little harder time scoring. I'm going to say Bills 13, and I'm going to go Rams 31 here. I, I think it's going to be surprising. Wow. I hate the game. I, I really do hate this game. And I think it's going to be closer for a lot of the quarters. I think through three quarters, it's going to be a lot of back and forth. But I think the fourth quarter, McVay is really going to outcoach Sean McDermott here. who I do like Sean McDermott, but yeah. – I don't believe in Josh Allen. I just don't. And if he torches the Rams, I will be the first one to come on this podcast on Tuesday and issue a mea culpa, apologize to Josh (laughs) Allen, anoint him the best quarterback in the AFC East, and then we can just move on. Yeah, as as expected, we are not being uh, praised for our Allen take. And one person, uh, Leon Tompkins specifically, thinks that Josh Allen's peak uh, could be close to Big Ben, which – uh, I don't know about that. I think he has some, too many accuracy issues for that. Yeah, but Big Ben throws a much better deep ball with accuracy and touch. A- Allen would just yeah. catapult it. I mean, he could throw farther than Big Ben, but not nearly as accurate. Uh, nonetheless, I think that's going to be a great game. Uh, it could be one of the. It could be the second best game of the week because the best game of the week, bar none, is happening on Monday Night Football, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but moving on now to a game that. Definitely it's not the game of the week, but I'm still going to watch, and it should it could be pretty good. Uh, but the Washington football team is traveling to Cleveland to face the Browns. Uh, we haven't seen the Browns since last Thursday when they beat the Bengals, and the Washington football team lost, obviously, last week to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, 
in theory, I like the, the Browns to win this game outright by quite a bit, but at the same time, you can't really trust the Browns yet, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't trust the Browns that much at all. I thought Washington's defense looked okay against the Cardinals' offense, and let's face it, I think the Cardinals' offense might be the best in the NFL when it's all said and done in the NFC. <laughs> Not in the NFL, but the NFC. So I, I think Washington is building something up. It feels like it's too early yet, but I really like where Washington's trending. I think it's going to be closer than what a lot of people think. And I think this is going to be a good game, but I trust Cleveland. I, you know, as crazy as that sounds in this game, I think Cleveland has the better playmakers offensively. And I think it's going to be hard for Washington to stop them in the secondary. Yeah. Uh, I brought this point up earlier, but after watching some of the tape of the Browns, um, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. hasn't been exactly what everyone thought he was going to be with Cleveland and Baker Mayfield to this point. Um, But what I realized what he does is he extends the field and he prevents other teams from stacking the box. He presents a deep threat that they can't just ignore. Um, So that helps the Browns running game. And we talked about the Browns running game, how effective they are and how they do have the best one-two punch at running back in the entire league and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I think that goes a long way here. Um, I don't know if that's enough to neutralize the beast that is Chase Young, and I just want to talk about Chase Young for a second. I don't know if I can remember a guy who already two games into his career is being double teamed and even sometimes triple teamed, um, but we knew this guy was this good. Like we, I mean, even Jadavion Clowney was hyped up but did not warrant double teams on a regular basis like this man. Uh, I just want to ask you quick, is there a guy you can think of off the top of your head that came into the league right away and just dominated? Uh, maybe J.J. Watt is the first guy I could think of. I think J.J. Watt didn't come in with this type of hype, though. I think he built that up over a period of a season. Yeah. Right off the bat, right off the top of the season, it is really hard to imagine. I remember Derek Thomas. I don't remember Derek Thomas quite as a rookie. Reggie White was dominant from day one. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that was one of the other things. And Richard Dent for the Bears. But this type of respect this early in a career, I, I don't know, Randy. I haven't seen it. And honestly, I think Chase Young, we talk about who's going to make the Hall of Fame. We talk about the Giants class with Barkley going ahead of Quinn Nelson. And I've said numerous times, Quinn Nelson, I think we all knew was Hall of Fame caliber in that draft. May have been the only one. Chase Young kind of feels that way to me right now. Like the talent, the quickness, the strength, if he doesn't get hurt, I think he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory two games into his professional career. Certainly feels that way. And a shout out to Henry. He says Nick Bosa. Uh, obviously was really great with the 49ers and we don't dispute that. Uh, I think he had a lot of help on the line. I think he had a lot of help with him though. You know, that's that's the main difference, right? Yeah. And his brother, Joey Bosa too. I mean, Joey came into the league once he got his contract settled. I mean, he was a holdout for a little bit, but once he started Mm -hmm. playing, Joey was fantastic as well. And I don't think Joey Bosa gets enough credit either. The Bosa brothers may be the best brother combo we've ever seen. Uh, Leon brings up a good point. Sue, I think Sue did come in with a lot of hype, but I don't think yeah. it was like this immediate. And, and an interior defensive lineman versus an exterior off defensive lineman, I think getting double teamed as an exterior defensive lineman is a little bit more respect than interior because naturally you're chipping yeah. those defensive tackles. I mean, you're going to chip them, you're going to double team, you're going to kiss right. block. There's just a whole lot of techniques you can do with that. So, Yeah. And just to feed my ego here, I'm wearing a Jason Pierre-Paul jersey. 
Uh, he was pretty damn good when he got drafted by the Giants, but he also had Justin Tuck and Osinio Minora there to protect him from being double teamed at any given time. So I won't say that, you know, that wasn't really because of his talent. It was more of to do with what was around him. But nonetheless, Jason Pierre-Ball, still pretty good today. Anyway, let's get back to the game here, uh, Matt. Where do, do you think the Browns are, are really going to struggle with this front line? And if they don't, I, I don't see how Cleveland doesn't blow this team out because I don't trust Washington's offense at all. Man, I, I'll go back to what I saw with the Cardinals, and I think Cleveland will take a little page out of that book. First of all, Baker Mayfield's not as mobile as Kyler Murray, and Washington was getting to Kyler Murray, but Kyler Murray is right. just so dangerous with his feet, he just <laughs> scooted out of there. I personally think that the Browns will struggle more so than a lot of, you know, well, I, I think a lot of teams are going to struggle against this Washington front, to be honest with you. Yeah offensively i'm seeing progress from Dwayne haskins i I see it it's building up is he going to be a top tier quarterback i I don't know i mean he's serviceable in this league right now and you see that progress terry mclaurin is unbelievable at the wide receiver position um i gotta see how mckissick looks this week for this you know washington football club but i go back it's the gibson show now though you know it's the gibson and mclaurin show for the for the washington football offense yeah, and I agree with that. I, I think what you're going to see, what Cleveland's going to do, they're going to neutralize the pass rush by throwing a lot of screens, a lot of running back dump-offs, and I think that's really going to exploit this Washington defense. So I'm, I'm going to take Cleveland here, Randy. I'm going to take Cleveland 27, Washington 17. Yeah, I actually have a lot of respect for Washington. I never thought I was going to, but it's all defensively, and it's all based on how Chase Young can change your whole franchise. A guy like that can t- truly affect your de- defense for, for, for a decade, really. Um, but I'm going to go 20 to 14 Cleveland. It's going to be a close game with Washington with a chance at the end here for me. But uh, yeah, probably not the greatest game ever, but I do think Cleveland's a lot more talented and ultimately wins the game. Uh, a team that has really struggled now. We're moving on to Minnesota Vikings. Uh, man, I don't know if there's been a more disappointing team through two weeks of the season, uh, at least for me, than the Vikings and the Tennessee Titans traveling to Minnesota and that pretty cool looking stadium over there. Um, but man, it's, it's put up or shut up time for the Vikings and this could get pretty ugly. Yeah. I, I don't like Minnesota at all. I think that has been well documented. I, I don't think Minnesota does very many things well and I don't trust Kirk Cousins. I, I think we're seeing the end, you know, the, the sun is setting on this Minnesota Vikings defense. I love Harrison Smith. I think he's a great safety. One of the more underappreciated safeties in the entire NFL throughout his career. You know, but this defense feels like with Anthony Barr out, I, I, to me, this is a classic stateway game. I, I don't like it, but I hate the Vikings. See, to me, I think that the Vikings are toasts. Uh, I've hated everything I've seen from them at this point, just absolutely no heart. Uh, they put up a lot of points against the Packers. A lot of that was garbage time to me uh, and just no fight at all against the Colts, which I think largely is a winnable game. Um, I mean, they're cold. I like the Colts, but you know, they're not world beaters by any means. And they put up a measly 11 points, showed no heart, showed no, you know, I, I'm just surprised the Vikings can't get to the uh, quarterback more. I really like Daniel Hunter and unique and Gakwe, but Anthony Barr going down really hurts this team. I, I just, I think they're toast. And I think the losses to Stephon Diggs is truly something I did not expect to have this great of an impact on them. I've said all, all offseason that Stephon Diggs was overrated. I didn't love the fit with the Bills, and I was really wrong about that because uh, I always thought that his effectiveness on the Vikings was due to Adam Thielen, and I still love Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen's still a really good football player, but 
Diggs was obviously the heart of this offense, more so than Dalvin Cook, more so than Adam Thielen. And uh, I really think that, you know, Kirk Cousins misses Stephon Diggs here. Um, I think Tennessee, I mean, they, they, they were blowing out Jacksonville pretty early in that game before letting them tie it up late. I think Tennessee is just going to kill this team. There's a lot of things that would concern me if I'm a Vikings fan in this Tennessee game. I think Tennessee's wide receiver speed is frightening if I'm a Vikings fan. And then you combine that with the power game of how this team runs the football. And Tannehill's been surprising. I mean, I don't love how they played against Jacksonville. I thought that that's kind of indicative of a bad football team, letting teams back in the game. But I expect Tennessee to get things back on track during this game. I think they'll do enough defensively to make life hell for Kirk Cousins, who has looked absolutely atrocious. You know, mm-hmm. And kind of like what I said, without Anthony Barr expecting to stop Derrick Henry in the run game, I think you're going to see a classic Tennessee game, ball control, low scoring. I don't see a bunch of points from Tennessee. Will this be a blowout? I think if you watch the game, it'll have that classic feel of this game isn't close. But I think the score will indicate that it's close and score only, whereas I think Tennessee just really dominates this football game. Yeah, I think Tennessee is going to handle this team pretty easily, and it's going to be a Derrick Henry uh, show along with uh, John New Smith, who's had a really nice start to his season at tight end. Uh, as far as A.J. Brown, I don't know if he's going to play or not, um, but Corey Davis has played really well in his absence. Uh, I just – it's Ryan Tannehill really has had a career rejuvenation by getting rid of Adam Gase in his life and playing really well with Tennessee. So I'm going to say Tennessee 34 – uh, Minnesota 20 and they might get some garbage time points late to make it even 20 at that point. I just, I'm out on the Vikings now. Yeah, I'm going to go Tennessee 20, Minnesota 14. I, like I said, I, I think Tennessee is going to win this game easily. Uh, you know, if you're watching it, you're going to feel it, but I think the score is going to be close. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, Vikings, I think this is going to end up being pretty bad for them and, Yes, you have coaching changes and a whole lot of whole lot of changes over there in Minnesota. Um, another potential second best game of the week option here. Now we're going to move on to New England. Uh, Cam Newton playing his second game as Patriot quarterback in Gillette Stadium, welcoming in the Raiders. Uh, my my poor impression of that, but uh, <laughs> shout out to Boomer on that. But the Raiders uh, have been really imp- impressive to start the season. All around from offensively to defensively, I think that they are one of the more complete teams in the league. I mean, I don't love Derek Carr, but I think they have a lot of talent all around here. And this is not by no means going to be an easy task for the Patriots. To me, this feels like a Bill Belichick classic. I just think Bill's going to be able to scheme it up offensively for the Patriots to get points against this Raiders defense. I, I didn't love the Raiders defense. I, I think we've seen Nikhil Harry progress from week to week already, and he's kind of developed that relationship with Cam Newton. This may be, as stupid as it sounds, this may be the best skill position group Cam Newton has ever had with Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry, Sonny Michelle. I mean, wow. I mean yeah, I mean, it, it is bad, but take a look what he had in Carolina. So... At least he had Greg Olson in Carolina. <laughs> that's true, but that's one. That's one guy. Yeah. So, um, 
I, I just like what they do offensively with Cam Newton to really accentuate his strength as a quarterback. Like I said, I think Cam's middle of the road between 13 and 18 for quarterbacks. I wouldn't pick him in my top 12, but I think he's going to do enough. I think this is going to be a tough game. I hate picking the Monday night game, the Monday night winner, having to travel all the way across the country to be a really well-coached football team. So I'm going to take the Patriots here. It's a good point. I guess I didn't think about that. But the Patriots also are traveling across country back home after the Sunday night game. So I guess that's it's just a day difference. But uh, I guess if you put it that way where it's like, which coach do I trust more? It's not even a question. I mean, John Gruden, who I think is a great character for football purposes, uh, I think is largely flawed as a leader and a coach uh, in many aspects. So Bill Belichick, I totally could see this being a masterclass in coaching. I expected that last week from him, but I didn't factor in the Russell Wilson aspect of that, which stupid on me. I should have known that. Uh, but, you know, Cam Newton to this point, I really has been impressive and he looks healthy. He, his arm strength looks like it's back. He had shoulder and elbow pr problems previously in his career. Those look like they are uh, not affecting him at all right now. He's, his arm strength is impressive. And Julian Edelman set a career high in passing yards last, uh, receiving yards last week. I really like that. Like you said, Nikhil Harry had a career game last week. This is shaping up to be a Patriots win because Josh Jacobs seems to be banged up a little bit here. Uh, like you said, Monday night teams traveling, not the greatest situation. I do expect the Raiders to fight, but ultimately the Patriots are probably going to come out with the win here. Uh, I will just say I'm going to take the Pats and it's going to be 28 to uh, probably 17. It's not going to be as close, but I do think that they'll pull away late. Yeah, I, I like that score. I, I think it's a fair score. Um, the, the one matchup that scares me for New England is trying to cover Darren Waller. But mm -hmm. I, I will say New England does pull this one out. I will give New England 28 points. I think they can put that up. They've shown that on a weekly basis, that 28 is definitely within their grasp. Um, I'm going to go 20 for the Raiders. I, I think the Raiders get an extra field goal in there. Okay. Now, before we move on, I know that everyone goes to you for fashion expertise. Uh, did you see Bill Belichick's outfit yesterday? And do you think the holes in the sweater with the sleeves cut off is a look moving forward for all of us? Absolutely. I, I think it's almost mandatory. I am going to go chop up a sweatshirt of mine just to show my fashion, my fashion sense above all else is right up there with Wild Bill. Okay, well, I, I will brag for a second and say my fiance, who's right there, uh, is a fashion merchandising uh, expert, and she for sure will think that is trendy and hip the next time I try to pull that off. Uh, definitely not, but uh, I'm going to try anyway. So thanks, Bill Belichick, for that. All right, we're going to move on now to uh, a garbage game here. And it's, it's battle of 0-2 teams. One team a lot more disappointing than the other. And one team feels like they have a bright future. The other one feels like they're falling apart. And it's the Cincinnati Bengals traveling, traveling to the city of brotherly love that booed Carson Wentz somehow by not even being in the crowd, which is amazing. Uh, I just think Carson Wentz has been the most disappointing quarterback in the NFL in 2020 through two weeks. And the Bengals have showed me fight and had shown and Joe Burrow has shown me that he is a franchise quarterback of the future. Again, this is just two weeks into the season. So this could just be overreactions on my part. Uh, what do you make of the Bengals and the Eagles? To me, this is the classic example of one team going in an opposite direction of another team. Both these teams look like crap. I mean, let's face it. One shit, one is worse shit. So which one are you going to pick? 
I mean, I, I don't want to watch this game, Randy. I don't even want to see highlights of this game. Um, to me, I think Joe Burrow is exciting enough where this just feels like it's lining up for him to get his first win. Philly can't do anything defensively. They can't do anything offensively. And if you don't have those two things working, at least with the Bears, you, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get really solid defensive play. They're going to run the football. The Eagles can't even run the football, and they can't play defense. To me, as much as I hate this, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one, to me, it feels like Cincinnati, and I'm going to go Cincinnati 10, Philadelphia 9. Oof. That is ugly. Yeah, that is brutal. Um, you know what, though? I have a ton of respect for Doug Peterson more than I, like more than a lot of coaches. I, I just think he's a very good coach. And despite Carson Wentz's uh, struggles this year, the Eagles offensive line got a little healthier last week. And Miles Sanders played really well last week. So I think if, the, if Doug Peterson come out, can come up with a game plan, uh, the Eagles can get off the schneid here. And I think the Bengals are the right team to do it against. I don't love the Bengals' defense. We talked about how the Browns got right against them last week. I think that you could see a similar situation. And I don't necessarily think it's going to be Carson Wentz. I think it's a big Miles Sanders game. Uh, so I, I think the, I think Philly's going to get off the schneid. Like I said, I think that uh, Doug Peterson going to do a great job. I don't love Zach Taylor as a head coach. I have yet to see anything that shows me he's a great head coach by any means yet. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow looks like the guy, but again, he's a rookie, so I'm not pinning anything on him per se. Uh, I just think the veterans uh, Eagles team going in one direction will somehow manage to get a win here. I'm going to say Philly 20, Cincinnati 13. That's going to be my final for that game. But Matt, we're going to move on because that game's garbage. We're not going to spend any more time on that. Uh, this game... I feel bad for the Texans because they got a brutal schedule off the top here uh, after facing the Chiefs on opening night and the Ravens last week. And now they have to go to Pittsburgh and face the Steelers. And these are like the three best teams in the AFC here. Um, so now we're going to go to Pittsburgh, the other Pennsylvania professional football team uh, hosting Deshaun Watson and the Texans who are now 0-2, Matt. I know you're down on the Texans and down on Deshaun Watson. You, you, you probably think their struggles continue, right? Yeah, I, I don't see an avenue where they win this game. It's just, to me, I, I, I feel bad for the Texans because you go against Kansas City, best offense in the league, and, and a really good defense. And not a great defense, not a top five defense, but they, re- but they are really good defensively. Then you get the machine of the Ravens, you know, that just plays really good defense and just pounds you into the ground running the football. It, it's like a meat grinder. And now you've got Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh, to me, plays the best defense out of all these teams that they've played thus far. They, they, they make life hell on a quarterback. They really do because they play a lot of zone blitzing. They bring guys from all over the place. You're not going to know who's coming. I think Watson still struggles with identifying where the blitz may be coming from. He's really good at dissecting coverages, I believe, but he just has no weapons. And if you're waiting for guys like Kenny Stills, Brandon Cooks, um, Will Fuller to get deep. Steelers are never going to give you that time. So I, I think it's a lot of the same of what we've seen from the Texans. I, I don't expect a whole lot. And then you take a look at Big Ben. If they give Big Ben time on offense, Deontay Johnson, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, I mean, James Conner, Benny Snell Jr. Th- there's just so many things here that Pittsburgh does well that I, I can't think of a way how Houston can sneak out a win here. I uh, don't really think the Steelers played particularly well last week against the Broncos. Uh, Drew Locke got hurt early in that game, and they didn't have Cortland Sutton. 
And Jeff Driscoll came in, still threw for over 250 yards and two touchdowns, which I was pretty surprised in. Uh, I, I kind of expect the Steelers to take the, a sort of game like that and just close it down, close it down defensively and not even worry about it. Uh, ben had a pretty good game. He had 300 yards, two touchdowns. And Connor obviously had 100 yards rushing. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going to talk myself into the Texans here only because if they, if they let Jeff Driscoll come into Pittsburgh and light it up like that, Deshaun Watson, I think, could give this defense issues. I know that, you know, their, their front line is, is really, really good. And, you know, he uh, – but he's super mobile. He's a very mobile guy. He, I tend to leave the pocket too soon most of the time. We've criticized him for that often. Uh, I think that he can totally take over this game in that aspect, though, with his feet. Um, I know that Pittsburgh is deep in the secondary, and I know that this is unrealistic, but I can just see this being a Deshaun Watson game where he steals one. I, there's no other rationale other than I think so highly of Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I, I, I think we all love Deshaun Watson. I mean, I don't think any of us will ever say that Deshaun Watson's not a good quarterback. He deserved better than that Hopkins trade. Let, let's face it, that, 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 Hopkins, that Hopkins trade was just awful. David Johnson, I, I don't see it. So, so now let's take a look at how Denver exploited you know, the Steelers. They used a lot of tight ends. Uh, Noah Fant had a really good game. I, I don't see a tight end on that level on Houston. So, so now you're depending on your wide receivers. Jerry Judy didn't have a big game, um, but I still think Jerry Judy has more talent than anyone Houston has at the wide receiver position. So I just look at this game, and I, I give Pittsburgh a mulligan. I'm kind of letting a bad team hang around. You know, you kind of let your guard down. You, you know you have Jeff Driscoll in there, so you're probably not as sharp as you need to be. And, yeah, you almost let a game get away. Bad quarterbacks can sometimes win football games. It just – happens the nfl is weird and stupid like that i think pittsburgh goes into this game fully aware of what deshaun watson can do i think the respect is going to be there immediately i can see this defense being on point and not letting deshaun watson beat them yeah last week my biggest criticism of the texans is that will fuller had a great game opening night i think he had 150 receiving yards on 10 catches he had no targets last week uh he is their number one receiver uh, now that Hopkins is, you know, playing amazing for the Cardinals. So I expect the Texans to come up with a game plan to get uh, Wolf Fuller more involved. And, you know, they have uh, Darren Fells or Daniel Fells, whatever his name is, a tight, a tight end. They have okay tight ends. It's not like anything to sneeze at or it's not anything to really o overlook either. They're not great, but they're fine. Um, but to me, Deshaun Watson is, is going to take them as far as they will go this season in general. But how much can he overcome? Like you said, there's a lot of things holding him back. I am just talking myself into, you know what, he's going to go Superman mode and somehow steal one against the Steelers, and it's going to be 21-20 Houston. I'm calling the upset. and I'm only, Part of the reason I'm doing this too, Matt, is because last week I went the entire preview show and didn't predict one upset. So now I got two under my belt this week, and let's see how it works out for me. Okay, it's taking the page out of my book. I like it. Uh, here, I, I, I am going, obviously, with Pittsburgh here. Um, Jacob asked a great question in the comment section. Who's worse as a head coach, Bill O'Brien or Adam Gase? And Adam well, Gase. Yeah, it's not even close. Adam it's, Gase. it's not even the same universe. And, and Henry responded appropriately saying, Bill O'Brien, the GM, is killing this team, not Bill O'Brien, the head coach. And, and I agree with that. But I'm still taking Mike Tomlin over Bill O'Brien. I mean, the Steelers are better at every position on the field. I mean, I'll give quarterback a wash. I would probably lean towards Roethlisberger, but he's old, so I don't know how 
I, I don't know how it would go the quarterback position, but I think every other position on the field, the Steelers are better. I think the Steelers even have the better what right now, Randy. I would take hmm. TJ over JJ. So okay, well, I, I think that, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Pittsburgh. I, I think Pittsburgh wins. I'm going to go 34 to 13. Okay. That's funny you should mention that because this is the Watt Bowl because J.J. plays for the Texans and the other two Watts play for the Steelers. And I don't know who would take J.J. over T.J. at this point. I think T.J. is one of the best pass, rusher, pass rushers in the NFL at this point. Um, J.J. still holding his own, still a great player, still a future Hall of Famer by all means, but T.J. is the real deal, man. Uh, love what I see from T.J. Watt. All right, that is all for the early games. Now to the late games. And, Matt, I don't know about you, but I always interpreted the late games to be the West Coast games or games that you wanted to be prime time that were like a, a game of the week potential here. So can you explain to me why the damn Jets against the Colts is on at 4 o'clock here? Because I can't figure it out. The CBS have another game? I think that may, might be the issue here. CBS might not have a quality game to go ahead to this one. They got a, any game is better than this one. Any game is better than the Jets, as far as it, I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no interest in this game to watch primetime. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's because New York, but I, I think Jets fans are tired of watching the Jets at this point. Like, I you're right. <laughs> yeah, you, you just see it. That there's nothing entertaining about it. And, you know, I, it's one of these games where I think the Colts win handily. I will take Frank Reich over Adam Gase every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I, I don't like Adam Gase at all. I think he's been overrated his entire career. And he just he, – he's killed this team. He's killed Sam Darnold. And Jets fans, um, I, I don't know how this goes, but I think next year you're going to see a new – definitely a new head coach – definitely a new quarterback. And I feel bad for Sam Darnold in this situation. I know a lot of Jets fans want to play, you know, the game of Sam Darnold just needs a better coach. I mean, this is three years now, Randy. It's his third year. They'll definitely, I don't know if they trade him or release him, but they definitely have to go a new quarterback direction because Sam is still making the same mistakes he made in college. I mean, his freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, you you see the same level of mistakes starting to pile up as he's doing in the NFL now. Unbelievable arm, unbelievable talent. But for him to realize his potential, he has to leave the Jets. I, I, I go back to, like, the Falcons. There's just too much baggage there, you know? Like, you can't overcome so many bad things without getting a breath of fresh air and a breath of, like, freedom, like being under a real coach. So I, I'm going to go Colts, you know, let, let's say Colts 27, Jets 10, and I don't even think it's going to be that close. I mean, that's generous because the whole 49ers team basically got hurt in the second quarter of that game, and they still won 31-13, to 13, and the Jets scored with, like, less than a minute left on a ridiculous play by Darnold at the end when, you know, nothing was even there to play for anymore at that point. Um, but you see what Ryan Tannehill's doing in Tennessee with a guy who's not even known to be an offensive coach in Mike Grable, and he's really transformed himself into a highly efficient – more than a game manager quarterback who, you know, I'm not saying Ryan Tannehill is even a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, but the difference is palpable. You can see it between the quarterback that played in Miami to the quarterback. Now you're going to see Sam Darnold go to a franchise after the Jets and away from Adam Gase, as far away from Adam Gase as possible. And he might turn into something that's worth a damn, but as long as he's on the Jets with this coach, 
this is the worst team in the NFL. And, and I crush the Giants all the time, but it could be worse. I could root for that team in green that plays in the same stadium. The Jets are a joke. I feel bad for the Jets fans because I do like Sam Darnold, and I think he has a ton of talent. But like you said, he has not improved. The development is not there. He continues to make bad decisions all of the time. And it's it's to the point where you got to be like, all right, it's year three. At some point, you have to stop forcing the ball into tight windows and you don't have playmakers that can make those plays. Uh, you got to learn to throw the ball away or to have some sort of ball control and to not turn the ball over so much. I'm over the Jets. This game's going to be an absolute shit show. The, the Colts are going to dominate this game. It's not even going to be close. I'm going to go 35-10 Indianapolis. This game's going to be over at halftime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with the over by halftime. I just want to comment on one thing for Jets fans. If you're a Jets fan, the biggest thing, and you see it, New England is the prime example. Ownership brings stability. And if you don't have a stable owner and you have a meddling owner or you have an owner that just makes stupid mistakes, you have franchises like these. And it's unfortunate. There's a reason why you keep on seeing Pittsburgh. There's a reason why you keep on seeing Kansas City. There's a reason why you keep on seeing teams like, you know, I'm forgetting, uh, Pittsburgh Patriots. Patriots, exactly. Like Green Bay. Seattle, every year. Yeah, it's stability in the ownership and letting your coaches coach, letting your GMs GM, picking the right people. Picking the right people is more important than anything else in this business. And if you don't have those right people and you don't have the right owner, you get franchises like the Jets and Jaguars. Yeah, poor Jets. I wish this game wasn't one of the games that everyone's going to be having their eyes on because I have a feeling red zone is going to be filled with uh, Jonathan Taylor touchdowns and maybe a couple TY scores or a Moali Cox score here and there. A lot of big Phillip Rivers week, by the way. So if you play DFS looking for a cheap quarterback, I imagine Phillip Rivers is going to have a big week. Okay, that's the first of the early games. We got the most of the garbage out of the way. But wait, there's more garbage. <laughs> it's the Carolina Panthers without Christian McCaffrey going to our, our most favorite stadium ever, and it's SoFi, to face the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, you know what? The Panthers at least gave us an entertaining game week one, but they don't have Christian McCaffrey anymore. Uh, I, I do want to just point out to Jets fans that uh, real quick that Robbie Anderson is top five in the NFL in receiving yards right now for the Panthers, and they just let him walk out the door for nothing. So uh, I just I just wanted to say that really quickly. But I still think that the Chargers um, – are, are the way better team in this scenario. And it's partially because they have a rookie quarterback who had an incredible debut last week in Justin Herbert. And he's going to get the start again because of a, a Tyrod Taylor injury, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But Matt, I want to get your quick thoughts. Chargers hosting the Panthers at SoFi Stadium. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do something against all my better judgment here, Randy. I, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but it's just one of those gut feelings I think the Panthers win this game. Wow. I don't like it. I hate myself. But to to me, I I think there's a lot there with that Tyrod Taylor injury. And once you dissolve trust in your team's kind of leadership portion, I don't know. Like, I I think this is going to be Anthony Lynn's most important coaching game. Like, can he get his team to trust the doctors? If a guy gets hurt, is he going to let a guy get a needle? I mean, I don't know, but to me, this just feels like Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson, they got that connection. I just, I like the Panthers. I don't know why I hate myself. That's interesting. Uh, And we can get into the Tyrod Taylor situation when we get to the injury segment of the show. 
Uh, we'll, we'll break down what happened there. Um, but I don't know if this is as big of an issue other than it's just an accident, but there could be more there than we think. Uh, and like I said, it, we'll talk about it in a minute, but uh, the Panthers to me, they have, they're young and they have potential. They're obviously a rebuilding franchise. There's some young pieces that I really like on this team. Um, but to me offensively, and we, the Chargers have played really well against two teams now. I mean, the Bengals, they completely shut down. And the Chiefs, I mean, they, they were winning that game against the Chiefs in the fourth quarter, and the Chiefs had 13 points in the fourth quarter. You're going to keep the Chiefs to under 20 points in regulation. Like, I, I mean, big, big props for you for that because uh, I certainly didn't see that coming. So I, have, I don't know how many teams the Chargers are going to struggle against offensively if they're not going to struggle against the Chiefs. So uh, I think the Chargers win this game with their defense. I'm going to say 20 to 10. Uh, I just I don't know how what to make of the Panthers, especially without CMC. Yeah. Oh boy. I guess I got to predict a score, don't I? <laughs> Give Teddy two gloves to win, then. Teddy two yeah. gloves. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Teddy two gloves. Um, I'm gonna go Panthers. Oh, God, I, I think the Panthers. This is a high-scoring offense. It's a high-powered one. Um, let's go Panthers twenty-seven. The Chargers twenty-five. Wow, that would be – I mean, you could take Phillip Rivers off the Chargers, but you can't take Phillip Rivers off the Chargers if that's the case because that sounds like an all-time Phillip Rivers uh, choke job there. Uh, okay. Uh, I like your upset pick of the week. I like it. We're mixing things up here on the Audible, and you never know what you can expect. Because now we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady making his third start against the Denver Broncos, the banged-up Broncos with – Driscoll starting a quarterback now. I mean, for Drew Locke, who's going to miss a significant amount of time. Um, the Bucks had a get-right game against the Panthers last week where they still didn't look great, but they still handled their business. Uh, now they have to travel to, to the high altitude. Uh, what do you make of the Bucks traveling to Denver? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Brady has a losing record in Denver. I, I, I think – Yeah, I, I think he was the only – yeah, Denver's the only team that really got to him like that. Yeah, man, Denver, you take a look at Von Miller being out, Cortland Sutton yeah. being out for the year. Tampa is just one of these teams. I just, man, I, you know what? To me, they're like the Bears in a lot of ways. It's just winning ugly. You know, they lost mm-hmm. to the Saints, which, I mean, I can't blame any team for losing in New Orleans. That's a tough place to play in general. But to, to me, it's just like this team, I don't know what they are. And to me, that's dangerous. But the injuries are too much for Denver here. I, I, I'm going to take the Bucks here. And I will take the Bucks 21 to 17. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to think it's another ugly game. Bucks are going to get Chris uh, Godwin back. He missed last week with a concussion. Mike Evans played really well in his absence. Uh, we had a Leonard Fournette coming out party last week. He, he had a big game. I think, you know, the Bucs are going to play pretty well offensively because I don't know what the Broncos offer for resistance wise. Uh, and they're so hurt right now that I just, I mean, Jeff Driscoll, like you said, came in and uh, kind of just walked into a sleeping giant and the Steelers where they are like, all right, Jeff Driscoll's in, who really cares? Uh, he's not going to win the game anyway. So I think the Bucs are going to be more prepared for him, and they're just going to take care of it. I, I just think the Bucs are going to win 24-13. to 13. You know, I, just, I don't think very highly of the Broncos team with Jeff Driscoll playing quarterback. Moving on now quickly here, uh, and I think of this game, like I don't remember if you remember, this is the Lions traveling to Arizona to play the Cardinals. Uh, I go back to Kyler Murray's first start, and they've had Detroit there, and 
the the Lions had this game just won, and it's just a just a microcosm of the Lions' existence under Matt Patricia. But uh, they had this game won, and in the fourth quarter, Kyler started just catching fire, and he threw a deep ball. I think to Kirk uh, and Fitzgerald had a good game, and it was just a, it ended up being a tie. I think in overtime, I don't think either team won that game. But I always think of that that game specifically with this matchup. But um, the Lions and Cardinals in 2020, you know, Kyler Murray MVP campaign is fully underway here. I just can't help but to think that the Cardinals are going to run away with this one. Yeah, I, I think when you look at the Lions, the first game put up a fight, like really took it to the Bears. And then last week against the Packers, they were up 14-3 to three at one point, and then they just died. So I think the Matt Patricia era is, is on its way to being dead. I don't know how you keep on coming back from – it's a heavyweight fight. You know, they've taken way too many body blows with Patricia as their head coach. You can't keep on losing those games. Like the Packers game, fine, it's the Packers. You can't lose that Bears game. I don't care what team it is. That's a win. You win those games. Right. I I think the Detroit team is in full give up mode. Like I said, the head coach is a microcosm of how this team is and Patricia it's time to move on. And Arizona is on a different level. I still think, it's a 2-0 team, but I feel shaky about it. I put them on the 2-0 shaky ground along with the Bears and the Raiders. It's a shaky 2-0. Offensively, they're really good. Defensively, they got to play, you know, a 49ers team that maybe didn't have their shit together yet. You know, Super Bowl hanging. Kittle got hurt early in that game, too. Yeah. So, to, to me, Arizona wins this game. I'm not taking Arizona super seriously until, I guess, Dallas on Sunday night or Monday okay. night, but um, yeah, Arizona wins this game, and I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I'm going to take the Cardinals 31, Detroit 13. Oh, no, I'm going to go different here, 31 to 17. Okay. See, I, I mean, I don't think of the, the Cardinals as a contender by any means, but I did think that they could sneak into a wild card spot because of their offensive potential. Kyler Murray has been lights out this year, uh, running effectively using his arm him and DeAndre Hopkins have already already have chemistry like they played together for the last five years I mean it's it's insane what they those guys are doing already uh I like the Cardinals pass rush I don't love their defense as a whole but they still have an effective pass rush uh don't love their offensive line in general but I think Kyler Murray neutralizes a lot of that stuff because you know Washington got there excuse me but uh they still got home and he still made these guys miss and still made plays I still you know if you're going to criticize the Cardinals for their schedule which is fair they're still taking care of business here, and I think they're going to do the same against Detroit. Detroit, that first loss of the season is just absolutely demoralizing. You're up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. you got to come away with that win, and on top of that, you had a dime in the end zone to win the game. All the guys do is catch it and fall down, and they win that game, and he drops it. So uh, the Lions feel like a cursed franchise. Leon, I am so sorry, my friend. Uh, but I think the Cardinals are going to win big, and I think it's going to be 38-24. to 24. Um, the Cardinals are going to explode offensively. And now I have a question for you before we move on here. Which coach is more likely to get fired first? Is it going to be Adam Gase or Matt Patricia? Both terrible ownerships for both these teams that stick with coaches way too long. I, I think uh, I, I'm going to go on a limb here. I think Patricia gets fired first, but I would not put either one of these in the boat that stays, that gets fired during the season. I think both these coaches finish out the year. Wow. 
I'd be shocked with the Jets because they seem to be just giving up all over the place with no heart at all, or not. They're not even competitive in games. That's a big issue for me, uh, coaching wise. At least the Lions, you know, they're going to put up points. Stafford's going to look good. You know, he's going to have good numbers at the end of the day here. So Patricia, I think, has a longer leash than than Gase does, but who knows? Um, okay, one more game in the early window slash late game window, and this one's pretty good. I'm really excited for this game. Um, and it's, and it's a team that has their shit together from an organizational standpoint with the MVP front runner in my mind against a team that uh, fired Jason Garrett from Mike McCarthy. So, uh, I mean, the Cowboys have all the talent in the world on the offensive side of the ball and defense leaves a lot to be desired, but the, the Cowboys are going to Seattle, Matt. And uh, my guess is that you're not confident in the Cowboys here. Cowboys just play sloppy football, you know, really. And their secondary is not that great. And you have the best deep ball thrower in the NFL with the best deep ball wide receiver in the NFL right now in DK Metcalf. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking Seattle here, Randy. And I, to me, Seattle is going to be that team in the NFC West that's going to have it wrapped up pretty early. And, you know, I, I just – Dallas will score points. I mean, I don't want to say they won't because Seattle's defense has not been very inspiring to me lately, but I, I do like Seattle to win this game. Yeah, that's my thing about Seattle is that their defense really hasn't led me to believe that they are ready for this. But Russell Wilson and that offense is clicking on all cylinders. And good call for, on you for DK Metcalf because you saw this coming. I, I really did not, but, you know, when you get paired with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, I mean, the confidence is sky high with this kid. But uh, the Cowboys, if they can establish the run and, and ball control, keep the ball away from Russell Wilson, which is what they do best at their peak, is with Ezekiel Elliott and just keeping the ball away from the other team's offense. And that actually keeps your defense more fresh and not going to be less prone to blow coverages and things like that. Um, they have a chance. And I do think this game will be close. I don't think this is going to be a blowout by any means because I don't trust Seattle's defense. They let the Patriots linger in that game despite going up big at one point. But Seattle's going to come up victorious in this i'm going to say seattle 31 dallas 27 a little antidote here for everyone still watching and for you yourself randy you, sure. you know what made me believe in dk metcalf his father played right guard for the chicago bears terrence okay. metcalf really good okay. underrated offensive lineman so dk we were watching you buddy for a long time we knew this was coming belief just remember, sign with the Bears. Follow in your father's footsteps. He'll be okay. You know, Why do gonna... I feel like if he was if he was on the Bears, he would he would be uh, what was that guy White from a few years ago? <laughs> he would not, be him all over again. We will not mention his name, Kevin yeah. White. You know, just Kevin really White. unfortunate career. But along with you, I think this is a high scoring game. I think this game will produce the most points. I would take the over on the points. I wouldn't like to bet on the spread here but I will take Seattle 38, Dallas 35. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a, a good score. Uh, Metcalf, by the way, he wears these arm guards that are like stickers basically that just shield for when you dive onto the turf and you land on your, your forearms. If I played at that level or played football at all at any level worth of respectful, respecting, uh, I'd probably wear those as well because I feel like the turf would cut up your arms quite a bit. So I like that look for DK. He has the arms certainly to pull that off as well, uh, which I do not have. Anyway, we are moving down now to primetime games, which I think they have two really good ones on tap for us this week. We have the 2-0 Green Bay Packers traveling to New Orleans to face Drew Brees and the Saints. And this would be such a better matchup if Michael Thomas was here, but this is the reality for the Saints for the next couple of weeks. So uh, my first initial thought is the Packers are going to roll. What do you think? 
Yeah, and the Packers look like a machine right now with Aaron Jones. You know, if you know, we'll, t- we'll touch on the injuries in a minute, but I just think Aaron Rodgers looks completely different, and it's a scary Aaron Rodgers that I don't want to face. So I do think the Packers win big here. I'm going to take Green Bay 42, New Orleans 27. Yeah, they refer to this, uh, and, you know, this, this show is a, supposed to be a family show, but they, they refer to this, what Aaron Rodgers is doing as a fuck you tour. Uh, this is for all of you who criticized him and said he was washed up and that he was done. And this is for the Packers for taking a quarterback in the first round. This is what you get for doubting me. And I just, I respect the hell out of somebody who can use a chip on their shoulder and, and increase their level of play like that. So Aaron Rodgers, as much as you're such a bastard, sometimes you are uh, one of the best quarterbacks in my lifetime. And I have a ton of respect for that. And the Packers running game, man, is on another level right now too. Aaron Jones is having a great year to start the year. And the Saints, I just, I, you know, Alvin Kamara playing really well. And I just don't, don't love what I've seen from Drew Brees. He had accuracy issues last week. And if you're not going to be accurate when you're Drew Brees, it's going to spell disaster because you don't have the best arm. You don't have the best talent around you as much anymore. This game's going to be Packers. And it's going to be by, you know, I'm going to say by 10. And it's going to be 31 to 21 Green Bay. So I just think that the Packers are going to take care of business on Sunday Night Football. And then, Matt. Once you get done with Sunday night football, you're like, all right, cool. That was a nice Sunday of football. I'm probably losing a couple fantasy leagues at that point. And then how could this Monday get better? You know, Mondays suck. You got to go to work. There's a pandemic going on. This year has been awful. But the football gods shine a light on you. And the two best teams in the NFL are facing each other on Monday night football. It is the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, going to Baltimore to face the reigning defending MVP of the league, Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. You cannot have a better matchup than this at any given time, in my opinion. This is the best game of the week and maybe the best game of the entire season. Yeah, I don't think you can circle another game on the year that beats this one. And kudos to Monday Night Football for nabbing this one because it is a huge tilt. To me, (laughs) this is the the Chiefs season right here, whether it decides they go 16-0 or not. They win this game, Randy. I don't see anything stopping them from going 16-0. and You can talk about the Patriots game. I can't see the Patriots keeping pace. The only thing is maybe they're 14-0. and They have everything locked up, home field. You know, maybe they lose one of those garbage games at the end of the year that they don't care about. But um, to me, this game is just – it's it's a beauty watch it tune in don't have anything else i maybe playoff baseball i don't think baseball's on dong city we love you but i gotta watch me some chiefs and ravens <laughs> this game is going to be titanic i can't you know chiefs ravens mahomes jackson you know the, the two-headed monsters at tight end with baltimore versus travis kelsey jk dobbins versus clyde edwards hilaire i mean everything is here for you. Tyron Matthew. Andy Reid and John Harbaugh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, the, coach, the coaching matchup is unbelievable. Everything. <laughs> yeah, the, the, this game feels like it's like, man, it, it's prime time personified. This is like, this deserves to be the only game on the schedule. This deserves to be the only game on television, basketball, football, none of it. Just just this football game, just this one. I am going, I, I, I'm just effusing. I'm just so excited for this i don't even care about sunday bears lose whatever i get to watch a hell of a football game on monday night and i I can't be more excited for this game it's going to be fantastic yeah um i 
you know, I don't get too excited about like games like this. This feels Super Bowl caliber to me. And this game can't be the Super Bowl, obviously, but this is two great uniforms even. Like, I mean, I love the the Chiefs road white and red against the, the Ravens home purple. Like, I, it's just – it's everything you want in a football game. This game's going to have two physical defenses that are really good, uh, two 2-0 and o teams. But, um, you know, the, I, you brought up the baseball playoffs. They don't start until Tuesday even. So this game's going to have all of the world's eyes on it. Uh, for the most part, Donk City luckily is going to air an hour before that. So by the time Donk City is over with, turn on Monday Night Football and enjoy this football game. But uh, I'm not going to break down individual matchups. Obviously, we can talk about all the star power and everything going on in this game. Uh, but I'm just going to say I don't have a great feeling after that Chiefs game against the Chargers. And like you predicted, the Chiefs going to go undefeated this year. I still think the Chiefs are going to go 15-1, and but this is the one that the Chiefs lose. Uh, they're, get, they're going to Baltimore after a week where they struggled to beat the Chargers. I think the Ravens defense is just as good as the Chargers defense, if not better. Uh, and I love Lamar Jackson. He's going to have a big week, I think. And the Ravens are going to win this game, and it's going to be all time. And it's going to be 27 to 24. Uh, Justin Tucker, 50-yarder at the buzzer to win, because how else would a Ravens victory in dramatic fashion go? And I cannot wait to watch it. I, I will – counter your chief struggle with how the Ravens struggled. I mean, Lamar Jackson had 16 carries for under 60 yards last week. So he didn't look great running the football in passing. Yeah, still kind of iffy. You know, I, I don't trust Lamar Jackson winning a game with his arm just quite yet. To me, you know, you just have one of those clunker games. And I think after a clunker game, you got to make a statement. And what a better way to make a statement than on Monday Night Football. Show the world, Patty Mahomes. Show them all. <laughs> so I, I did predict the Chiefs to go 16-0. and I'm not moving off of this. And I, I will say this. They win this game. I don't see how they don't go undefeated outside of just them packing it in and saying we're just going to wait for the playoffs. I'm going to take the Chiefs here, of course. And I'm going to take the Chiefs. 28 to 17. Wow. You're not even thinking it's going to be down to the wire. That is unbelievable to me. The disrespect for the Ravens is real on the audible here, folks. You know, I feel every uh, week I disrespect somebody. <laughs> well, Josh Allen deserves it. That's not even disrespect. He earned that. <laughs> so uh, I just want to point out as far as matchups go, we even have the best kicker matchup in the NFL. These are the two best kickers in the NFL facing off against each other and Justin Tucker and Harrison Butker. Uh, this game, I, I just, I'm so excited for it. I, I hope it's better than an 11 point game. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We got some quick injuries we're going to touch on here and obviously we can't get to all of them, but some notable names here, uh, two wide receivers, Devontae Adams of the Packers and Julio Jones of the Falcons, both dealing with hamstring injuries and both are questionable for Sunday. Uh, obviously, you mentioned in your preview that if Julio doesn't play, you like the Bears even more. How much do you think Devontae Adams could affect the Packers? I, I think that's significant. I, I just think Aaron Rodgers is playing at such a high level right now that it will definitely affect the score. But I still think the Packers come out of that with a win. But Devontae Adams is important. Very much so. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, high ankle sprain. It seemed like he was donezo for sure for a couple of weeks but it's still that questionable whether he'll play or not. Do you expect him to play on that high ankle sprain? Man, I, to me, I think going one and two for the 49ers would be really tough in this division. I think yeah. Jimmy G plays. 
I don't know if it's worth it, to be honest with you. I think you could still escape this game without Jimmy G and give him an extra week. But, you know, if they feel the sense of urgency that the, the rest of the division is pulling away from them, then I agree with you. I think get a shot and try to tough it out. So we'll see. On the other side of this, uh, George Kittle, uh, I think he has a sprained MCL or some kind of ligament in his knee, but he appears like he's going to be ready to go come Sunday. Uh, that would be a big addition for him against the Giants. Yeah, it'd be really helpful, especially for a guy like Nick Mullins. Yeah, Nick if Nick Mullins is the go here. George Kittle and Jordan Reed should have field days against the Giants, even if Kittle is the primary blocker um, and not someone going out a lot for pass, uh, passing situations. This one I thought was big, and it's, we don't talk about a lot about offensive linemen, but Ronnie Stanley is questionable for Monday Night Football for the Ravens. He's a, he is a great offensive lineman for the Ravens, I might add. Uh, he's dealing with ankle and hip issues. And if, you know, if he's not there, I think the Ravens might, you know, and if it's not, they're not going to change your run. They're not going to change your game plan, but it might affect the run game a little bit. If he doesn't play, watch for the Chiefs to put Chris Jones over that back up, and it's going to be a rough day for the Ravens. Yeah, for sure. All right, and then we're going to finally touch on this Tyrod Taylor situation, which is pretty bizarre. Um he went in, obviously he had this rib issue before the game and he went to the hospital and that's when Justin Herbert got the start, but the team doctor punctured his lung uh, and went in examining him. Uh, and it seemed to be trying to do a pain killing injection to his correct ribs. And I don't know if you read any of this, but it seemed like the doctor has some sketchy history here with some issues in the past, but um you know, accidents can happen, at, but at the end of the day, this, this all, all this comes off to me as an accident, but maybe some other people are speculating otherwise. I mean, as a doctor, players trust you with their bodies. And I, I think that's a big issue is when you puncture a lung for an injection in the ribs. How far did the needle have to go in? How, how did it get to the lung? You know, so to me, I, I just, this does not look good. I, I would find it hard that Chargers players would trust this doctor, and I, I think the doctor has to go. Tyrod Taylor, as you allude to, maybe this is a blessing in disguise for the Chargers to get Justin Herbert in there, get him some on-the-job training. He looked good. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Um, Justin Herbert looks like an NFL quarterback. So it's unfortunate. Long-lasting impacts, I don't think it has a lot of long-term impacts for the Chargers organization and the NFL Players Association, who did file a grievance. Yeah, I don't – I mean, I feel bad for Tyrod Taylor, obviously. It prevented him a chance of playing, but it's not going to – it doesn't seem like it's going to do any harm long-term, which is, you know, luckily for that. Uh, you can find it on Twitter, but there's uh, speculation of the history of this doctor and some of the – uh, illegal activities he's done in his career, which I'm not going to touch on, but if you're interested, you can find it out there. I don't think he sabotaged any situation. I, I really do think this is uh, an accident. Maybe uh, he overestimated something at the end of the day. It was a mistake. And luckily Tyrod Taylor's okay. But uh, in the future of that doctor with that organization might be uh, a little iffy here. But uh, the big news of the football world, and it's unfortunate and it's all too often here, Matt, we have to talk about someone who left us, and uh, at least at least in this case, it was someone who lived a life uh, long and fruitful and someone who inspired uh, generations of people. And it's Gale Sayers, the legendary Bears running back, uh, football Hall of Famer, um, famous NFL running back. I mean, he's one of the greatest players in the history of the sport. And I can't do him justice as much nearly as much as you can. I'll just say, if you haven't watched the movie Brian's Song, 
I highly recommend it. I just watched it for the first time yesterday. It's about his relationship with the other running back in the Bears in the 60s, Brian Piccolo, who died of cancer at a very young age, and the relationship that they had in a tumultuous time in America, um, a white man a white man, and a black man becoming best friends on a football team, you know, probably pretty unheard of at that point. So it's a really touching movie, and it really shows uh, Gail Sarah's character and all the accolades that he won. He wanted to credit to Piccolo himself. So uh, Matt, I will let you give you the floor here and, you know, just give, I know you'll have amazing words to say here about Gail Sayers. Man, um, th- th- this one hurts a little more so than others. I, I think <clears throat> Bears fans and-, and just people in football, if you're a football historian, Chicago Bears are known for two things, running backs and middle linebackers. It's synonymous with this franchise. It always seems like organizations get those guys at those positions whether it's Buckus, Singletary to Urlacher to Sayers, Payton. I mean, Neil Anderson was really good, Thomas Jones. You know, the list goes on. But Sayers was known as the Kansas Comet. Uh, you can't – him and Buckus were drafted back-to-back. I can't – I think it was 61 or 60. And really, like you said, it was a very tumultuous time in America. And Gale suffered, you know, a devastating knee injury. Um, very much of what we see in today that wouldn't be – career ending but for Gale it, was, it almost was career ending and you saw Piccolo very important in his recovery pushing Gale to say that you can do this this is not your career your career's not over yet um, Gale didn't play a long time in the NFL I think that's kind of what based uh, Terrell Davis's Hall of Fame selection when you are so, when you're such a, a bright star in the sky you know, we all kind of look up at the night sky and we see those bright shining objects. They don't always live the longest or shine the brightest forever. Gale for six years was completely unbelievable. You know, the 49ers game where he returned, he had six touchdowns, returned to punt for a touchdown, returned to kick for a touchdown, had a receiving touchdown, you know, rushing touchdowns. Everything that he did was poetry in motion. It's when you see something so beautiful, you know, whether it's in nature or just your everyday life, and you just have to stop to watch it. He was never overpowering. It wasn't, you know, brute contact. In a league at that time where it was all based off brute contact, it was, you know, man up and hit each other as hard as you can. Gale would sidestep. His pivot to acceleration was unheard of at that time. And as a Bears fan, you know, not a whole lot of great things that we in memory can cherish. You know, a lot of us still live off 85. You hear a lot of Bears fans say, well, 1985, the Bears, monsters of the midway. <laughs> but Gail feels kind of forgotten in a lot of this with as much love and respect and to Walter, you know, he sweetness definitely deserves it. But Gail equally deserves as much love and as much praise and as much things. And Gale was a better man than Walter and we could attribute Walter to CTE maybe, but Gale did things in the community quietly. He wasn't outspoken about his things that he did do, but the closest thing that we ever saw and for for the younger generations here to Gale Sanders was Reggie Bush at USC. That is how Gale made opponents look in the NFL. Watch Reggie Bush at USC, and that's what Gale was in the NFL. Players couldn't tackle him. The elusiveness was unheard of for Gale. Um, one of my favorite memories of Gale Sayers on Chicago Sports Radio, and Felipe, if he's listening, he'll definitely get a chuckle out of this. 
I, I think it was the time when the Bears had Henry Burris, maybe Craig Frenzel and Jonathan Quinn at quarterback in the same year. And it, it was a horrific year. So, you know, Gail's like, I don't want Quinn. I don't want, you know, this guy. So they named all three quarterbacks and Gail's like, I don't want, and you know, Gail's like, no, I don't want none of those. And so like the host is like, you want to get rid of all three? He's like, you're damn right. I want to get rid of all three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gail was very outspoken about the bears. Uh, his passion for that franchise was unheard of. He had a lot of begrudging things to say about George Hallis, Papa bear founder of the NFL, you know, idolized by many people in this sport. But the one thing that I take away from Gail, and I hope everyone takes away, for as good as he was on the football field, he was a really good man. And the NFL does needs to do right by him. And I, I felt like they did it on Thursday Night Football, but I'd like to see it on Sunday. Give the man his due respect. Give us a moment of silence. Shine a light on him, because he grew up in a very racial divided area in Kansas. It was not easy to be a black man in Kansas growing up as a teenager in the 50s. I, I could only imagine what that was like. But Gail was everything, you know, you want your athletes to be. So rest yeah. in peace. It's a great example of what we all can be. And uh, character-wise, obviously, like you said, not a better uh, – it's, it's important to me when there's an athlete who's a better person than he was an athlete. Uh, I, I look up to those t- type of guys for sure. Uh, and just to point out how good of a player he was, he only played seven years in the NFL. He was a five-time All-Pro. Uh, he had nearly 5,000 career rushing yards, which isn't a whole lot, but you got to think about the time period that he played in. Um, he had 39 rushing touchdowns, and those all primarily came over that five-year stretch. Obviously, his career came was cut short due to the knee injuries. Um, you know, I watched highlights of him in the last couple of days, and the word that I kept saying to myself was how shifty he was. Uh, and the shiftiness was is noticeable right away, and not a lot of guys had that ability back then. And he was certainly ahead of his time with the way he could move with the football in his hands. He obviously had confidence. He was not shy about telling you how much space he needed, and he didn't need a whole lot of it, and it's <laughs> for good reason. So, um, you know, Gail Sayers, rest in peace, uh, 77 years old, had been living with dementia. So uh, I hope, you know, him and his family are at peace and he's not um, suffering with that any longer. So, uh, Matt, you did so well in your touching tribute to Gail Sayers, as I had no doubt you would, uh, given your Bears fandom. Uh, so I appreciate your words on a, on a guy who meant a lot to you and your fans, uh, the fans of the team that you support. So uh, there's no note to, no better note to say goodbye to than that. Uh, we're going to do a moment of silence by saying goodbye to you here, Matt. Uh, do you want to say any, any parting words for the audience before we say farewell? Let's just honor Gail and enjoy football and respect each other. That, 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 that's the one thing I want to relay. Doesn't matter our skin color. Doesn't matter our beliefs. At the end of the day, is that we're people, and let's treat each other like people. I couldn't have said it any better myself, my friend. I uh, hope you guys all enjoy Week Three. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Uh, more college football coming back this week as well. SEC will be returning to action tomorrow. Enjoy some of that. Uh, and yeah, we'll be back on Tuesday to break down all the games, including the game of the year on Monday Night Football. I'm looking forward to that as well. So. Uh, R.I.P. Gail Sayers, Matt, it's been a pleasure as usual. Hope you have a wonderful weekend, everybody, and we'll see you on Tuesday.